This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Gouda Talk. Back with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series. You've been lucky this week. We've had basically two shows every single day. And today we've got a very special one once again as we discuss with the fantastic guests at the club that we love. And today we're tackling some of the big questions surrounding the club. So without further ado, let's kick things off. Very happy to be joined by Andrew, a.k.a. Arsblog. How you doing, mate? You good, Joel? I'm good, Tom. How are you? Very good, mate. Very good. Happy got... Valentine's to you. Indeed, yes. I was going to kick the show off with two, um, you know, what's the word I put in it? Casual questions, if you like. I'll sure. do them in chronological order. Okay. First, are we a celebrator of uh, Pancake Day? And if so, what is your chosen pancake? Yeah, we did some pancakes yesterday, and I was looking for, um, you know, the little Biscoff biscuits that you get yeah. with coffee, right? They make a spread, which is yeah, unbelievable. It's just, I couldn't find it, though. So I had, to get, I had to get some kind of, like, salted caramel type thing and made the pancakes with a bit of uh, salted caramel in the middle. They were delicious. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm on board with pancakes. Do you like the, the savoury one? I got told I'm missing out on not having savoury pancakes, like ham and cheese pancakes. and mm, Never been particularly a fan of those, I have to say. But then I've never, I've always just associated pancakes with being sweet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A, fr- a friend of my other half said they made a lasagna pancake, which is like you replace the pasta sheets with pancakes which seems disgusting on paper. That seems like something would uh, somebody would do on, on TikTok. Yeah. And then our, then our <laughs> Arsenal friend, Chef Reactions, would have a look at it and go, oh, God, what Indeed. are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, the second question being, as you've alluded to it, being Valentine's Day, are we? do we see it as a commercial opportunity or is it something to celebrate? Well, by my uh, brand or my range of Valentine's merchandise, I should have announced it before today, Big Hearts, cupids all of that no it's it is of course a load of nonsense um you know i think if you need to uh, have a particular day to validate the relationship and the uh, the care that you have for your other mm-hmm. half then maybe something is is going wrong there you know every day should be valentine's day right 
I'm going to have to dial this back to yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, <laughs> <for> <laughs> I sure. put you in trouble here. I'm sorry. <laughs> all good. I, I suppose that a nice question to start things off the show. And chat box, welcome. We're going to be tackling some of your big questions about the club as well throughout tonight's episode. So throw them in and I'll I'll save them for later. Um, what do you love most about Arsenal right now? What do I love? The, the possibility, the potential, mm. the... The excitement that comes with, you know, being good again and and hoping that we can, you know, win the Premier League after so long. I think that's kind of what I love most is that, you know, we we've spoken quite a lot down the years, and uh, you know, we've we've had some discussions that have been difficult, right, about where we are, where we're going, what we're doing, how are we going to get there, how are we ever going to bridge the gap to Liverpool and Manchester City? Here we are. Here we are in much quicker time than I thought. And I think that is the thing that I love the most is, is the possibility that, you know, in May we could be Premier League champions. I'm not saying we will be, but we're in the mix. We're in the conversation. You know, um, I don't think it's a case anymore that Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp are, are sort of looking over their shoulders and going, ah, we're not really worried about Arsenal. We're not really worried about anyone else. They're worried about us because we're mm. good. And I think that for me is 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 what keeps you going, is that hope, is the just the potential that we could be um, you know, really celebrating something much more than Valentine's Day. We could be celebrating something substantial and meaningful together as an Arsenal community at the uh, at the end of the season. I'll throw it back at you. What what do you love about Arsenal right now? Uh I love the togetherness of the team. Um, actually, I just love the the I, I love what Arteta's done with the group, and, and it's it's given it such an identity. I, I I think yours is a great answer about you know the potential because for so many years we were kind of in this purgatorial state as a club of thinking that top four was you know the maximum and not falling out of Europe entirely was was the disaster, and now we're a club that sees not winning a title as the disaster, you know, and and winning it as the as the potential, and that's a, a glorious place to be, but that. I think that's come from you know the, the, the togetherness, the principles that Arteta has instilled in this side, and it it makes them a likable group. It makes them very commercial. Uh, and uh, on the day of days that we sit today, I think that's a good word to use because I think you know they've it's generated such a a buzz. And I mean, I'd rarely allow a, a new release of, of Arsenal's merchandise to to go too unpurchased these days, uh, yeah. mainly because they bring out such good stuff rather frustratingly, um, other than Season's Away Kit, which is certainly something I still don't love. Has that grown on you throughout the season, the Away Kit? Yeah, because we keep winning games in it. So yeah. it's one of those where, <laughs> you know, I, I, I we did a thing in LA during the summer and I stood mm-hmm. beside Gilberto Silva wearing that kit. And it's like... This looks great on him, you know. But he's got, <laughs> he's got that build. Maybe it's not as flattering for your your average day to day fan. But look, you know, I think the bruised banana kit, for example, is one that went down in in folklore uh, and people loved it so much. Not because they saw the design straight away and went, "Ooh, look at that!" It's because it's associated with with success and associated with teams that people loved and players that people loved. And maybe, you know, despite the fact it looks like it was sort of put together with some leftover day glow markers, you know, a dino rod van on the outside and, and all the rest. <laughs> it might be that if we win the title, 
you know, they keep trying to sell that. Our away kit is on discount right now. I yeah. guarantee you, if we win the title, all of those shirts will get sold. So, um, you know, I don't hate it as much as, as, as some of the kits we've had down the years. Um, I'm thinking of that kind of turquoise one that we wore. Mm. Oh, the kind of it was, yeah was it kind of turquoise all turquoise yeah, I remember like a dark green trim with yeah, it yeah Granite Xhaka scored a goal at Crystal Palace yes. wearing that kit yes. and maybe gave away two penalties in the same game <laughs> yeah, um, did, yeah. that, that one I really don't like but this one you know as long as we keep winning games I can live with it for sure yeah, yeah. I think that game actually was Xhaka giving away a penalty for Zaha and Mustafi gave away another one that oh, day. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. It's the, the most Arsenal thing of the mid-2010s that you could th think of, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but no, it's, it's it's a scary thought, actually, the idea of winning a, a league title. And, you know, you think of the articles that go back for the years of the title-winning kits Arsenal have had, and that being the, the most recent one. It's a scary thought, but one I, I will embrace. Oh, for sure. Like, if that's the yeah. worst that they can come up with, like, look at how bad Arsenal's kit was <laughs> when they won the league. Oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll all just have to live with that one, I think. And I suppose it does bleed quite nicely into the question regarding titles of, I think something of a misconception which has grown throughout the season is this argument that we, we're worse than last year, um, is, is claims that are made that we're worse. And we're five points worse off than we were this same point last season, but we're a goal better off and a goal conceded better off than we were at the same stage, despite having that points deficit. So do you think it's true that we're worse compared to what we were last season? I mean, if you just want to look at the numbers and say, well, we're five points worse off than we were at this stage last season, you can, you can make that argument. I don't think that really holds... Mm. any water though you know it's different you're not playing the same teams in the same sequence for a start so yeah. it's different um last season i've said this before is is uh, there's an element of like chasing the dragon to it right that you know i'm not speaking from experience here but you know we've all watched train spotting you know take your first hit of heroin and then you're always chasing the dragon right and last season, after being bad for so long, it felt really, really good. And I think people were expecting kind of the same but better this time around because we brought in 100 million pound Declan Rice and 65 million Kai Havertz and 40 million Jurian Timber. It was like, okay, well, it's going to be the exact same, just a bit better. And I don't think it works like that. Football does not work like that. It's, it's, it's different. Um, it, it's lightning in a bottle last season. It was so good. And it was so much fun and it didn't end the way we wanted, but maybe part of the reason it didn't end the way it wanted was because we weren't set up for it to, to we weren't set up to go the distance. Mm. We were like the pace setters last season. This time around, we've got to go the distance. So in order to do that, you have to be different. Maybe you have to approach games differently. Maybe you have to think about, you know, how do you, how do you build your team physically in August, September, and have them peak in March, April, May, like Manchester City do with their special vegetables and all the rest, right? You know, that there are just so many things that are that are going to be different about each season. And, and let's not forget this, right? Arsenal's uh, start to last season was the best ever in the club's entire history. Mm. Ever ever like it was always going to be a bit worse it was always going to be a few points less 
the, the, the key thing to look at, I think, is where we are in the table compared to our rivals. And we're there with them. And to me, that's far more important than looking back at last season and, and trying to trying to draw parallels and through lines between two completely different things. Every horse race is different. Every 800 meters race is different. You know, every Tour de France is different. You know, it, it's just what we have to accept as football fans, I think. Yeah, it's and it's also the obsession to always have to compare as well that brings up these questions, isn't it? You, you can never just enjoy what's going on. It's always got to be compared to something else. What's yeah. gone before? To know whether or not you're improving, I guess, is the reason as to why. And the problem is, is when you get to the top and you're in and around the top, the opportunities for progression or rather signs of obvious progression become that much harder to see because... Mm -hmm. A position in the table when you're second, the only way to go forward again is to go into first. And when you're also battling not just with one team for the title, but two, there's that reality where you could end up finishing third. And yet you may not have even had too much of a worse season compared to when you, you finished second the, the season prior. Mm. And, you know, Liverpool, for instance, have had 90 plus point seasons so many times now and not won the league because the team they're up against have been that's slightly bit more perfect than they have. And, you know, Arsenal didn't finish with 90-plus points last season. And, mm. and Manchester City, I don't think Man City did either, did they? And I think they still won the, the title. I'm trying to think of what their points tally was. Off the top I remember. Of I'll look it up <laughs> while you're talking. Yeah. Um, and I think that where you, go, or where you make the improvements then is that you look back at the instances of where you dropped those points or what the key things was. And for me, if you're going to win the league... You've got to beat your rivals that you're challenging. Mm -hmm. And we didn't do that last season with City. We lost them home and we lost them away. We lost them in the FA Cup, of course, as well. And this season, Liverpool being one of the main rivals as well, we've beaten them. We've, we didn't lose at their place. And we've beaten Manchester City this season as well in the league. And we have to go to the Etihad, which looks... that That's kind of the next peak on the horizon of fixtures that we've got. These run of games are leading up to that match at the Etihad at the end of mm -hmm. next month. And that I see that is if Arsenal can come away with that. And I guess that leads quite nicely, I suppose, into the next question, which comes from that, is that do Arsenal have to win that game? Probably to win the title. I mean, anything is possible, right? Do they have to? I mean, probably. Yeah. Probably. To have a realistic chance of, of winning the title, I think they we do have to beat Manchester City. Like, it could happen with a draw. You know, it's not impossible that it could happen if we draw there. But I think to to sort of stake our, our title credentials properly, um, I think we do have to go there and win. We're overdue, of course. Um, they're usually... They don't drop a lot of points in the second half of the season. So even if you did draw with them, you're counting on them to drop points to somebody else, and chances are that's not going to happen. I, I think as well you might need to strike something of a psychological blow um, to Manchester City and and maybe to some of the other teams as well, that they'll go, Oof. City will go, oh, we were beaten at home. That hasn't happened. Mm. And the other teams will go, my goodness, Arsenal have beaten Manchester City, you know, we really have to, not that we don't take them seriously, but, you know, that's a bit scary. Um, you know, you, you start to build an aura, which I think City have, you know, because they've won it so many times. They have this aura of of kind of inevitability, which we don't have. 
you know we don't have that yet we have you know there's a perception that we're still a bit um flawed which i think we are you know and until such time as we win a title or two titles or whatever it might be people are always going to say um you know there, there's something missing at arsenal they're they're not what they should be they're if you you know butlers or whatever which i think is absurd really because you know at the end of the day you are competing against the best team in europe you're competing against manchester city with 115 asterisks you know that is the reality and that is you know it does get a little bit frustrating sometimes when you know i, I know we can be better we all want arsenal to improve but we also have to be realistic and look at what we're doing in the context of who we're competing against as well but to i would say i'd be very surprised if arsenal won the title without winning at at um the etihad mm. you yeah i mean obviously mathematically no but realistically yes i think so um and i think it, again it kind of blends back to that previous question of how we compare to last season i feel much more confident going there this season um compared to last season as i just think we're much more resilient as as a team i think defensively we're better um i'm trying to think back the the available team we had let me just do a quick google was it uh what was, do you remember the score I don't know, was it 4-1 on the day yeah it was a 3-1 or 4-1 was it i can't remember exactly uh, 4-1 it was Ooh. on the day um and the team we had that day was Ramsdale, White, Holding, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Erdegaard, Xhaka, Partey, Saka, Jesus, Martinelli. I mean, immediately, Rob Holdings stands out in that team, doesn't he? The difference that William Saliba will hopefully make. Uh, David Raya instead of Aaron Ramsdale, how much of a difference that might make. Declan Rice in there probably over Thomas Partey, although depending upon when he returns to action. I don't think he was fit that day anyway, Party. I think he was, you know, played out the, the last part of the season at, at about 60%. Was that the game where he just got absolutely burned in midfield? I can't remember if it was Holland or if it was De Bruyne just sort of, yeah. you know, brushed him off like he was some kind of kid, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, there was there was something not right with, with Partey in the last part of, of last season. Mm. And so, yeah, it was it was one one at half time. Um oh sorry, one nil at half time. Um yeah. De Bruyne uh with that goal. Uh sorry, no, it was two nil. John Stone scored just in extra time uh, added time of that first oh, half. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um uh and then De Bruyne put pay in in the second with a, a second and then holding got that ironic um consolation in the eighty sixth minute. Mm. Scored with his hair down, uh, which became I think BT Sports basic like wallpaper for the rest of the season <laughs> when that happens. But yeah, I, I I do feel like this team is more resilient now. And I do feel like going to the Etihad, I think City will be more apprehensive about this Arsenal team than the Arsenal team that was coming to them last season in some ways too. Mm -hmm. there, there does seem to be something of a block there for us though. You know, I think about the FA Cup game last season where we went there, made a few changes and I know we only lost 1-0, but it never looked like we were ever in control of that game. City controlled it so well it was rather surgical how they beat us on that day. But it, there is a difference, I think, about going there this time around. Um, but yeah, just kind of your thoughts on, on City and Liverpool, I guess, as well as our rivals. Liverpool, of course, since we've beaten them, uh, they've now lost Trent Alexander-Arnold. Is The reports are today that they rushed him back, basically, it seems, for that game against us. And they've now lost him um for at least the league cup final as well which is a big big blow for them and of course for some upcoming games they've got brentford away next man city 
post Chelsea. How do you see those two now stacking up? Um, you know, clearly they have very good squads. Um, I think what they have over us is one a sort of experience having gone the distance. I know Liverpool did it in in a weird way during the the COVID season, um, which I don't mean to take anything away from them, but mm. it was a weird. Uh, it was a yeah, it was a weird time for everyone. I think football was was just as weird. They both have something that Arsenal don't have yet, which is the the contributions from world class players, world class talent. And I think we've got some fantastic players. Mm. I think we've got players who can develop into potentially world-class players but what liverpool and and um city have are players who've been there done that won the trophies they've won the premier league they've won the champions league and that's where i think they have a bit of an advantage over us because those big players can be the ones who make the difference think back to the last time arsenal won the title two one down to liverpool at halftime on good friday thierry Henry exhausted even though he was absolutely knackered just had the quality to take that game by the scruff of the neck Arsenal end up winning 4-2 and from there you know go on and and win the title and, and go the season unbeaten of course and and you have players at Liverpool who can do that well certainly one player in Mo Salah who can do that and City probably have De Bruyne Holland and rather annoyingly Bernardo Silva, who I think is pretty much in the same yeah, he is. Um, ballpark as those guys. Like he's just so annoyingly good. He's just this little guy who looks like he should be working in a in a secondhand record shop and he just does ridiculous things all the time. Yeah. It's, it, it's so annoying because you know you just he's got them out of jail so many times. So Look, when you, when you think about our squad, you, you can think about Martin Odegaard. Can he get there? I think he can. Yeah. Can Declan Rice get to that level? I think he can. Can Bakayo Saka get to that level? Yes, I think he can. So we have players in the squad who can who can get there. I just don't know if they're quite there yet, you know? And I think this is where those two have the advantage over, over Arsenal which isn't to say I think it's insurmountable or I don't think we can go the distance, but it is going to take maybe one or two players having a second half of the season where you go, Oh my God, where did that come from? Mm. You know, where did that, where did that run of form come, come from? Because one guy or two guys going on a run of form can win you games in the premier league game after game after game, where you think, how are we going to score? Where is it going to come from? And bang, sack a bangs one top corner in the 80th minute and you're like oh my god we, we've done it or or you know martinelli scores a load of goals away freddie yumberg scored a load of goals on the way to the title you know um in in 2002 i think it was or mm -hmm. yeah yeah you know so i think that's what we need from these players um but they're very strong and they're 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 teams who should be challenging for the title and they're teams who um who are going to take a lot of beating. I suppose the one thing you might say is that perhaps, um, you know, the fact that it is so competitive this season, maybe there's a little more, I don't mean margin for error, 
I don't think there is much margin for error, but maybe there's more chance this year of a team, you know, in the sort of top eight, taking something off those two teams in comparison to previous years, which, you know, also applies to Mm -hmm. us, but we can only master what we can master. So, yeah, that's, and that Liverpool Man City game, when it eventually does arrive, you know, we'd love a draw, I suppose, really, Mm -hmm. either a draw or a Liverpool win, I think. Because I could, I see Liverpool more likely as a side to drop points than mm-hmm. the mechanical, monotonous beast that Man City can be, where they just churn out result after result after result. And everyone's so familiar with the run they went on last season mm-hmm. when they dropped points at, at Forest and then didn't drop any more until they won the league. It's ridiculous. Like we talk about mm-hmm. our best start to a season last season. They probably had the best end to a season to the point of a team winning the league. Than, than any team ever has from that point, at least, surely. So it is such a challenge that we've got um, to face. But hopefully we've got the minerals. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Are we going to bring the show? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes at McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. In the second half of this, to in Askcast style, um, with uh, some questions uh, from the chat box as well. Um, So get them in there, guys, and we'll go for as many as we can. Uh, The brilliantly named Rancid Pumpkin says, (laughs) uh, how do you feel about the uh, the upcoming uh, Champions League games against Porto? Uh, is there any PTSD uh, from our Champions League past, or are you confident? A little from column A, a little from column B, you know? Uh, I, I think this was always going to be one of the challenges of this season was was maintaining a title push and mm. dealing with top-level midweek football. You know, the, the, the extra effort it requires and the, the fatigue that it can bring is something we're going to have to manage domestically. This is where I think, you know, when we, one of the things that was really impressive about our win over West Ham was that we didn't have Zinchenko, Tamiyasu, Timber, Partey, Smith Rowe, um, Vieira. Did I mention him already? I can't remember. And Jesus. So you're like Mm -hmm. seven, seven first team players out and we still won six nil, which is great. Yeah. But I don't know if we're going to be able to maintain that that level of performance unless we can manage the load on on certain players a bit better you know um that there are changes and rotations that he is going to have to make at the weekend after a champions league game or or after a weekend game going into a champions league game you know he's going to have to freshen things up and even those maybe two or three changes just to give you uh, a few um, few extra percentage points of, of physical energy on the pitch can be the difference between winning and, and losing. Um, I'm, I'm relatively confident, I have to say. I don't underestimate Porto in any way. 
I also think we have something to prove as well in Europe um, under Mikel Arteta a little bit. It's been it's been patchy. It's fair to say. Um, so I, I'm slightly more on the confidence. I'm just looking forward to it. You know, those big European nights, those big occasions in, in midweek. It, it doesn't feel like we've had too many of those over the last number of years. And, and maybe we got a bit used to them in, in the past. But I'm looking forward to, to giving Porto a good go and then see where we end up and who we get next. There's the big question. Not, not, not jumping ahead, but yeah. I mean, are you, are you confident on this one? Yeah, I'm, I like you. Um, it's like apprehensive confidence um, is what it is because mm. Porto are a very good side, um, but they're without a doubt a team that we should be rightfully expected to progress past. You know, when we got them in the next round, I I was delighted, to be honest, um, mm -hmm. with that draw. I was pleased with that draw. I know it's tempting fate and I'm frantically touching wood while saying that, um, but... I, that that is a draw in the last 16 of the Champions League that you'll you look at and go, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. okay, who can we get in the quarterfinals? That's that's the way you look at it when it comes up. So and then it starts to get very interesting because of course Liverpool aren't in the Champions League this season. Mm -hmm. Um Bayern Munich have been beaten by another team that aren't in the Champions League but look very good in Bayer Leverkusen um as well. And then it's you look at the the the, the main threats being Man City and, and Real Madrid. Barcelona of course are there as well, but they've got an interesting tie against Napoli that will not one out into Milan, having a very good season as well in Serie A. So there's some massive teams in there. But mm. I look at the Champions League as a real opportunity. Um I look at it I don't know if you agree, I look at it as as a more assailable target than the Premier League title this season, personally. I know what you mean, because sometimes you can get a, a run in a cup competition. You can get the look of the draw. You know, Man City could be knocked out. Bayern Munich could be knocked out. Who knows what can happen in cup football? And all of a sudden you you find yourself in the semifinals and, you know, you, you could be there. I mean, I think it is potentially, um, I'm not going to say more achievable, but there is perhaps a, a more obvious pathway. Then again, we could, you know, beat Porto, get Real Madrid in the next round and then be set up to play Man City in the next round after that. And, you know, you could yeah. you might have to do it the hard way. That is the reality of this competition. But yeah, you can get a favorable draw and and find your find yourself going deep. I'm not going to say without any trouble, but but certainly with a, a an easier pathway than it might have been. Do they still do the preemptive draws where they do the quarters and the semis together? I don't know, actually. I don't know. I think they not have sure. Thought. So it would be interesting if we do make it through. To Someone see. in the comments is bound to know. Yeah. Someone will know. Someone will tell us. I'm sure. Uh, so do let us know. Uh, moving forwards, um, John says uh, we have Man City away, Brighton away, Villa at home, Wolves away, Tottenham away, and Man United away. Still, <laughs> how many points do you think we'll get from those six games? I think if you came out of those with, I mean, six. So it's six games, eighteen points. Mm. You could lose one and win five, or you could draw four of them, and you could go through unbeaten and and come off with less points. Yeah, you know? I'm gonna say Man City away. Maybe a better question: How much do we need to get? Really, I think we need minimum fifteen. Yeah, and that includes three against Man City. Mm. And somewhere um, else, yeah, yeah. But like. If I had the crystal ball to tell you how many points we get from those, I would be, you know, I'd be putting, <laughs> be putting uh, my wages on on uh, 
um, down to bookies and then retiring in the summer from my winnings, you know, um, it, it is one of, it is a, it is a tricky run, but you know, I, you can't escape the fact that if you want to win a title, you're going to have to go, go to these games and perform and take points and win most of them in order to win the title. So there's maybe margin for error in, in one game. So if that, yeah madness what the premier league title race is like at the moment um again similar to kind of looking ahead uh Ditcher says out of the 14 premier league games that remain how many do you think trossard will start in which kind of is a question about i guess more so do we now see him as a starting figure in the team mm. i will say seven mm. um i think it is dependent on gabriel jesus so it's it's quite interesting isn't it that you know when jesus is out now, Mikel Arteta goes a different direction, whereas at the start of the season and maybe the first part of the season, he would have gone with Eddie Nketiah. Mm. And he hasn't in the last few games. And I think he I think he realizes that maybe in both Trossard and Havertz, he's got two options who potentially give you a bit more than than Eddie does and I'm not here to sort of criticize Eddie or talk him down or anything like that but you know if if there was a big game tomorrow if we're if we're going away to Manchester City and Gabriel Jesus isn't fit would you prefer to see Eddie or would you prefer to see Trossard starting up front and I think I would prefer to see I prefer to see Trossard you know Eddie is uh, Eddie has his own qualities his own skills I just think Trossard is is just a bit more capable of giving you something out of nothing, not out of nothing, but you know what I mean? I know what if, you mean. If, yeah. there's, if there's sort of a half chance or a quarter chance, I would be more confident that Trossard is the guy to stick it in the top corner than, than Eddie. You know? Yeah. I think Trossard's range is better. Like in terms of yeah, where he can sure. influence the game. Like Nketi is very much, with respect, you know, as close to the six-yard box, I'll rely on Eddie to do his job. And I know he's done some really good things. I remember his goal at Chelsea. I remember the spin uh, at home is it against Southampton, maybe. I can't, one of the teams last season where he spun and smashed it bottom left-hand corner. Um, those, he can do that. But the majority of the time, his, his best work comes in a small space close to the goal, whereas Trossard has such influence i mean the ball over the top obviously that led to the penalty um yeah. for, uh, against west Ham. you can do those types of things despite playing at, at center forward um he's just so malleable i think and that that's mm. what makes him so valuable um one from jason here at what point of the season should they announce arteta's new contract should they in, wait for the in end the, of the summer season? i yeah. think they should wait for the summer i think you know like I don't think it'd be it'd be a distraction in any way. I just think what would happen if they did it, let's say in March or something like that, is that mm. like you get a load of people go, "Oh, you haven't won anything, and you should wait." And then you know, if we don't win the title, it's a typical loser club, blah blah. You know, and who's got the energy for that, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe the club actually don't give a shit about that kind of thing. <laughs> And they'll just do it, you know, when they feel comfortable doing it. And if that's the case, then I'm perfectly on board with that. I just probably think that, you know, when you're heading into the business end of the season, rightly or wrongly, and I think probably wrongly, it will be viewed as something that is a, a distraction 
you know, like, you know, I don't want to hear Gary Neville sitting on Sky Sports talking about how if we don't win the title and he'll go, I think I'm back now to the end of March and they announced Arteta's new contract. And did he get, you know, comfortable or complacent because blah, blah, blah. A bit like how he went on about like, you know, Zinchenko blowing his yeah. horn outside the Tollington as if that had anything whatsoever to do with Arsenal not winning the title last season. It's just so stupid and reductive that yeah. I would like to deny him any opportunity to to come come out with, like he's perfectly capable of, of inventing his own bollocks to come out with, pardon my language, but we shouldn't give him any ammunition if, if that's, if that's, um, if that's, if you understand. So yeah. I, I think yeah. probably the right thing to do is, is end of the season. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just from the housekeeping point of view, it makes sense to me. <laughs> Every time I see Gary Neville in the press lounge, it takes all my resistance to not go up to him and be like, why? Just why? What? What? Why are you yeah, saying yeah. these things? Like, it makes no sense at mm -hmm. all. The Zinchenko thing was like was so disassociated from the conversation that was even being had like, at that yeah. point in the discussion, and to just bring it back up again, it was just odd. Like to be fair, I, I'm partly guilty at the weekend. Like um, I spoke to Bukayo Saka. I say spoke; it's a loose term in the mix zone. Sure, uh, yeah. in it with us. And uh, you can actually watch the interview on NBC's YouTube channel because that's where it got posted. But uh, we literally got four questions in. And so I thought, well, I'm only going to get one quick one. So I'll try and be a little bit quippy. And so I said to him, do you think six goals is enough to justify celebrating? <laughs> and uh, he first was a bit like, and then he got it and started laughing. But the quickly it was the question was moved on elsewhere because I think Arsenal are very much like, yeah, that's kind of, we're done with that talk now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we've had enough of this. Like, you either celebrate too much or don't celebrate enough. Yeah. You know, but, which uh, is it, guys? You know? Um, yeah. So I don't know. What do you think about the contract thing? Um, well, I was looking actually when they announced the last time and they announced it at the end of April um, mm. in 2022, which was obviously during the champions league chase with spurs and ultimately that i don't know if it's right to say it backfired announced it, say it with the benefit of hindsight you say it backfired because we didn't qualify for the champions mm. league during that season but I, I couldn't sit here and say that the reason why we didn't was because arteta signed a new contract or that had any bearing on but obviously it created as you say a discussion topic it created the question mark and yeah but I suppose it's it you you you're doomed if you do doomed if you don't because you might say well if you're going to sign him up to a new contract why not do it before and give Arsenal that momentum you know going into the end of the season and we didn't do that we didn't take that chance so you, there's an argument both ways I guess yeah like, the, the, you might say like um you know a parallel with the Klopp thing in that like why not if it's going to be done announce it now and everybody's on board and they know that that you know he's here to stay and whether that sort of keeps the fire lit under their backsides or not. I, you know, you could make that argument in reality. I don't think it makes that much difference when they announce it. Couple more. Um, interesting one here from JC who says, what impact will Richard Garlic have now as CEO? I refuse to believe that it won't have any, but what does Andrew think of the change at that leadership level? I mean, I, I, I really don't know, to be honest. Um, mm it's so difficult to quantify or, or make the connection between what happens at executive level and what happens on the pitch beyond 
the fact we can all see when a club is being run well and when a club is not being run well. Uh, I think, you know, when Arson left and when Ivan Gazidis left, the club was not in a good place. And I don't think good decisions were made with good process. And we ended up, you know, with something that really didn't work. Now, Arsenal feels well run that the the people at the top of the club are paying more attention. They know what they're doing. They understand the stakes are higher. I think Richard Garlick is a very, um, a very smart guy. Um, I think he'll step into that role very well, has lots and lots of, of football experience. I would say from our perspective as fans, we, we won't really notice anything that happens. It'll be pretty seamless. It happens at executive level. You know, the, the book stops with the owners when it comes to spending and, and that kind of stuff. So I think it's, I think it is a good appointment. I have to say, I think it, it makes sense. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see, you know, are there any other changes at, at, at executive level? Um, because obviously Vinay is leaving, Richard Garlick is, is head of football operations right now, I think. So will there be another uh, football appointment behind the scenes somewhere? But I think that sort of, that group of uh, Richard Garlick, Tim Lewis, uh, Mikel Arteta, Per Mertesacker, Josh Kroenke, um, Juliet Slot, you know, these people who are going to be running the club from a footballing and business perspective, yeah. they seem pretty simpatico at this moment in time. So I think, you know, from our, from our point of view as fans, we won't notice anything. Yeah, probably not, um, to be fair. Um, but we're seeing, obviously, like, yeah, we've seen the, the Sober Realty deal with the London Colony. I think Juliet Slot was, was probably the key person behind that on the commercial side of things. But Richard, obviously, known from his work with the Premier League and he's coming and work with Edu. And you mm -hmm. look at the recruitment, yes, it's not been perfect. And very few clubs get things, everything perfect. But that business, the squad building, that we've had with Edu and, and Richard working together with a, a, a larger group of, of lesser known people as involved as well. But also the, um, the retention aspect of it that people don't talk about a great deal is that we have signed Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, um, William Saliba, you know, there was a bit of doubt as to whether or not he was going to sign a new deal. Gabriel signed a new deal. Um, ben White is about to sign a new deal. Uh, Tommy Asu will sign a new deal. You know, so the retention of our best players is part of what what Richard Garlick has been involved in, uh, in a big way. So you know, that's another way of judging what it is that he does and how he does it. Yeah, I mean, just signing William Saliba up to new to deserves a promotion. To me. <laughs> so that was always going to be a challenge for sure. Uh, last one uh, from Albrecht, um, who says, uh, "Are we seeing the evolution many were asking for when Nuneri and other young players are getting more minutes nowadays?" I mean, when you say other play players, I think it's just Nuneri recently that's got that mm. chance. But uh, that that cameo from him, I, I know Arteta was joking in the post-match presser where he said some of the players are whispering about giving him a chance. I think he would have done anyway. Um, but that was an important moment, I thought, to see him come onto the field. So what did you make of that step? Yeah, look, I mean, the opportunity was there to give him minutes. The game was won. And, you know, if we do get, you know, the players I mentioned earlier being out, if we get most of those players back, 
Ethan Wanari is not going to be on the bench <laughs> much between now and the end of the season. So I think the opportunities and the chances to give him those moments, to integrate him into the team, to to get him properly involved with the first team, because, you know, there's a lot goes on on a match day. They travel together. They, they room together, um, you know, stay over in the hotel. And, and, you know, just sort of giving him the grounding for when he is really, really ready to make a step up and and challenge for a first team place, I think it's it's great to see. It. You know, he's clearly very very talented. I think sometimes we do over egg the pudding a little bit when it comes to our young players, and and people don't really understand or appreciate how difficult it is to make the step up from youth team football to first team. Uh, in the Premier League, whether you're a title-chasing team or not, but more especially when you are a title-chasing team, when the stakes are so high, when the performance levels and the consistency have to be like there week after week after week after week, you know, the reality of young players is 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 inconsistency. That is just part and parcel of their growth and development. So, you know, I, I think... Th- there's a bigger, longer discussion for another day, maybe about Arteta and young players. And and I know it's one that people have talked about a great deal, but you know, you can be the most highly rated young talent at London Colney at Hale End. And two years later, you're playing for a team in the Spanish third division, like Miguel Aziz, mm. you know, the, the, the pathway is not linear just because you're the best till you're 15 or 16 or 17 does not mean that when you get to 18, you're going to be the best, you know, things start to equalize and, and for myriad reasons, you might not fulfill your potential as a, as a footballer, you know? So I do get a little bit frustrated with, with some of that discussion because, you know, think about how good you have to be to get into this Arsenal team right now. So it was pleasing that when there was a chance to give Nwaneri minutes and you know 15 20 minutes at the end of a game i think is what he got looked very good very tidy it's going to be great for him but you know realistically when are we going to see him again if everyone's fit efl cup next year maybe you know so you know that that is that's what they're trying to to instill in him as well you know is like be a bit patient he's only 16 he's 16 for God's mm. sake, you know, think about There's what no he's contract yet, which is yeah, uh, he can't do that till he turns seventeen. I think he's is he seventeen next month? Yeah, March, yeah. So you know, um, patience is not a thing that football fans have a lot of, and I include myself in that. You know, I'm not not saying it's just everyone else, but I think in his case, we you know we we are going to need to be patient, and um, you know, sometimes a player comes out of your academy that you you don't necessarily expect as well. So uh, it could be a little bit of a a wild card in our in our ranks somewhere that we don't quite talk about as much now, but maybe in two years' time we're going, holy moly, mm. look at this guy. So we'll see. I think we'll see an area on the weekend when we're six new up again against Burnley. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's I, I think we'll see. We'll see him at Man City when we're six nil up against Man City in the uh, in the seventieth minute at the Etihad. We'll bring him on. He'll score a couple. We'll get the. We'll get that eight. You know, happy days. Happy days. Andrew, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down and and chat uh, with you, as always. Um, Please do tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. 
Um, they can find me at arsblog.com. Everything is on there. And what are we going to be up to? All the usual stuff, you know, um, podcasts and Patreon and, you know, all of it. So, yeah, that's what we'll be doing. And hopefully, hopefully celebrating a lot of wins uh, in the away kit between now and the end of the season. So. <laughs> And if we do, if we do, I'll 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 buy one myself. I have to say. Yeah, I've said the same. I have yeah. made that same promise. I said if we win the league, I will be getting a away shirt with Havertz on the back and sing the Waka Waka song. That is my promise. Um, okay. To the everyone, listeners. everyone can hold you to that. I'm here. I'm witness to it. So. Uh, this would be like, you know, when footballers uh, join a new club and they have to, you know, go on stage or stand up in front of everyone and sing the song. So. I'm looking yeah. forward to hearing you sing, Tom. I have to say. Uh, yeah, I, I've got our live event next week, and I'm very worried that the majority of our uh, our audience will be wearing this shirt because they know my <laughs> aversion <laughs> to it. So oh, well. blinded uh, up on the stage with the there are worse yeah. things. There are mm. worse things in the world. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, listeners. I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, please drop a like and subscribe and all that usual youtube stuff. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow morning, of course, at 8am. And let me just quickly once again plug yesterday evening's show uh, where I was joined by Laura and Sophie for a good chat about uh, women in the sport at the moment and uh, especially the, the kind of the trials and the tests that, that women go through um, in the world of football and uh, especially what was going on with social media yesterday. It was a really poignant topic of discussion. So certainly a really good listen and worth uh, your time. So go back and, and listen to that one again, please, if you haven't done so already. Uh, other than that, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you and to speak with Andrew, of course. Uh, and I'll see you again on the next one. Have a fantastic day. Stay safe, stay well. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.